Welcome back to the Read the Roster podcast. I'm Ross. And I'm Reed. And we have a week three slate ahead of us that has some pretty interesting matchups. Not as high profile as what we saw in weeks one and two, but if weeks one and two have taught us anything, is that anybody could go down. No matter the opponent, no matter if it's at home, if you're ranked, unranked, anything goes in this college football season. We've been proven wrong multiple times, so ready to deep dive into it and, and see what week three can bring us. Yeah, week one and two have been pretty much nothing but insanity. I didn't think that this is what it looked like the first two weeks of college football, but it's great to see, and I think if it's any indication of how the rest of the season is going to play out, I think it's going to be a pretty interesting rest of the college football season. Before we deep dive into these week three games, please check out the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. We post the podcast on all three platforms. We have a Twitter page at Read the Roster. Interact with us on there. Ask us questions. Share your thoughts about the picks we make and share your opinions about these teams. It's been a wild cultural ball season already, and I know everybody's got their opinions on who's good, who's not. So please share those with us. We also have a Facebook page. Do that there as well. Just search Read the Roster on Facebook and you'll find us. Give us a like and please review the show on whatever podcast app you listen to the show on. It really helps us out. We really appreciate it. And with that, let's just jump right into this thing. This is probably this is probably my biggest thing about Georgia games, man, is it seems like Georgia never plays in prime time, but at least we get to talk about our team first. Georgia plays South Carolina at South Carolina at noon on ESPN. I don't really know what to say about this one besides this might be a tough one for the Gamecocks. What do you think? I would kind of be on the same thing after seeing what they did against Arkansas, but, I mean, we didn't play good against Sanford by any means. Maybe that's just not being hopped up for the game because, of course, we saw what we did to Oregon, but we're going into Columbia. We never play good as number one, in my opinion. It's a noon game. They came in there. I don't know. Actually, I think it – May have been Sam Samford or may have been yeah yeah that was that was uh, that was at Georgia yeah and they came in and beat us so no, I mean anything can happen I think it will go in our favor just depends on how much but after what we saw against Arkansas I really don't know how confident they can be coming into this game maybe they're riding on a high after not seeing a very impressive performance um, against or against the Sanford Bulldogs, but I really don't think it's going to be close. I think we're going to get amped up and ready to go, and I think it's going to be a pretty long day for South Carolina. Yeah, like you said, besides you know, besides 2020 when the COVID year, South Carolina had a pretty tough year, and then 2018 when Georgia's offense was pretty explosive. Anytime Georgia plays at South Carolina at Williams-Brice, the crowd is always loud. It's early in the season while the teams are trying to work out their kinks. And like you said, it just seems like sometimes Georgia just doesn't play to their full potential that day. Um, but I think the storyline is a little bit different. Spencer Rattler hasn't looked amazing in his first two starts uh, for the Gamecocks. I think he might continue to improve throughout the season, especially as he gets better chemistry with his guys. Um, but a big thing is, is that South Carolina offensive line just doesn't look as good as what we've seen in years past. And I think that's a big thing that Georgia could exploit with their front seven. And like you said, I think we were hopped up for Oregon. We were ready to go. We were ready to make a statement that, yeah, we won the national championship, but we are ready to prove that we are still hungry. And like Kirby says all the time, we want to hunt. We don't want ever want to be the hunted. So I think Georgia's going to be ready for this game. Uh, the spread sitting at about 24, 25 points right now. I don't know if it's that big of a win. I don't know if we're going to see the same Georgia dominance that we saw last year because I think this defense is good, but I think you'll see a little bit of learning lumps like what we saw uh, last week against Sanford. I know they played lots out against Oregon, but I think that might have more to do with Bo Nix than anything. I'm going to kind of float right around that number. I think South Carolina puts up 14, but I think Georgia kind of sits around that 34-37 range, so I'm going to say 37-14 Georgia. Yeah, I wouldn't see it getting much more out of hand than 
24 points. I don't see us really running away with this one, but I don't necessarily see them keeping it close. I could see a 28-14 game, 28-10, that sort of game. But I don't think it gets much out of hand more than 25-plus points, 24 points. Of course, the spread. So I think if we come in there with the same confidence, it's definitely not going to be very much of a game. But if we come in there with any sort of attitude or any sort of negative connotation of South Carolina as a football team, it could be a potentially pretty long day for us. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, as long as we got our head on right, I think Georgia will end up walking away with this one. Um, but, you know, it could be close early, and it really just depends on what version of Spencer Rattler that we see, in my opinion. This one I just kind of want to mention in passing because – you know, the storyline with Scott Frost being fired, Oklahoma does play Nebraska at 12 on Fox. The story, the the point spread actually kind of caught my eye as well. Right now, Oklahoma's only favored by 11. You know, sometimes you can kind of see a team rally after a coach gets fired, but it just seems like the fire has never been there for the Nebraska program since Scott Frost has been there. So I just don't think we see that kind of performance. I think it's more of just like a give up, fall down, and – you know, let's just let's just do what we can to get through this season so it can be over with. I think something that you said last week, Dylan Gabriel's a playmaker. I love him as a quarterback. And uh, I think with Brent Venables, he's going to continue to make this defense better and better throughout the year. And with Nebraska just laying the egg against Northwestern and getting beat by Georgia Southern, I just don't think this is close in any sense of the word. So I'm going to rock with Oklahoma easy, and I think it could get ugly. But I'm gonna I'm gonna say 41-14 Oklahoma on trying to be positive. Yeah, I know the situation at Nebraska hasn't really been good over the past few years with Scott Frost. Now that he is gone, it's gonna see how worse it or how much worse it can get, or if it can get slightly better. But this defense, of course, is just has not played good at all during this season. The offense has. Seen some bright spots, so there is kind of some hope for it there. They can put up points, but only putting up 42 against Georgia Southern. Not the same kind of caliber as it would be at Oklahoma, so there is some worries, but they do have the ability to put up points. But like you said, Dylan Gabriel has been a playmaker in a high-powered offense at Oklahoma. Like you said, Brent Venables is going to get this defense ready to roll. They've, they have talent all over the field. They can recruit, and I think it could potentially – be a shootout-ish type of game, maybe get into the 40s with Nebraska scoring 20, maybe 32. But I think I have more faith in Oklahoma's defense stopping this offense than the wet napkin that is Nebraska's defense going up against this uh, Oklahoma offense. I love that analogy there. That was perfect. I think – I really think you – as bad as it, you know, you and I both said we don't want to get on here and trash people, but that's exactly what's happening with the Nebraska defense. So, moving on to the three thirty slot on Fox, you got BYU going to Oregon. Like I said last uh, in the review episode, BYU has a murderer's row for a schedule later in the season. They play Arkansas. I think they might even play USC. Uh, that may have been last year. I can't remember. We'll have to check that, but. BYU going to Oregon. Oregon does slide back into the top 25. I don't know if I necessarily agreed with them falling out of the top 25. I get that they look bad against Georgia. Really bad. Um, And I don't necessarily think they're a top 10 program. Uh, But Bo Nix has played winning football before. Um, I think he's good enough to make Oregon challenge for the Pac-12. I just think knocking them out of the top 25 with a performance against the previous national champions with a coach whose scheme is highly based on his previous coach's scheme. I just think Georgia expected a whole lot with what they were going to get from Oregon with the combination of Dan Lanning and Bo Nix. So I think Oregon kind of got, you know, shafted a little bit, but I do think BYU is going to be another tough test for them. If they can pull out of this, I think that proves that Oregon can be a good football team this season and still do a lot of things. 
So Oregon right now is favored about three and a half. I think this is close all the way to the end. I think with BYU and their performance last week against Dave Aranda's defense, who was the defensive coordinator on that national title team for LSU back in 2019, he coaches an impressive unit, and BYU was able to move the football and look pretty impressive doing it. They get their top two receivers back from injury last week. That's something you and I didn't notice from last week. So I think this is close to the wire. I'm going to say this is a one-point Oregon win because I think they do something at the end and Bo pulls a backyard bow type of thing. I'm going to say 24-23 Oregon. Yeah, I kind of have to take Oregon in this one too. I think, like you said, Dan Lanning being there, he kind of coaches the same way as Kirby does. It's kind of easily to read, especially if like these defensive players. I know people say that we're young, but these players have been there as long as, if not longer, than Dan Lanning. I mean, we have guys littered throughout the defense that know the defense in and out, so it's pretty easy to uh, expect what was coming. And also, we know what type of player Bo Nix is. We've all, we've never lost to Bo Nix, us as Georgia fans. We know what we're going to get, and we knew that we were probably going to win that game because when he plays us, he just doesn't have that level of confidence that he does going into other games. So I do think them – I think they are a top 25 team. I think they're going to prove that against BYU. And like you said, we're the defending national championship champions, and people just kind of wanted to write us off because of how much talent we did lose. But we just kind of reloaded. And I don't think people really saw that coming. But in this challenge against BYU, I think they're going to put their talent on display and show like, hey – Week one was because this team's really good, but we're also really good, and we're going to come out and show that our talent is not as good as theirs, but higher than BYU's level. So I'm going to take Oregon in this one by, I'd say, seven to ten points. I'd say pretty easily, maybe even 14, but I do know BYU had a pretty impressive win last week, but I just have faith in Oregon this year. One thing I do want to mention, too, is this, at, this is at Oregon, and Austin is a rowdy place. Those fans are going to come in fired up because they want to see their their offense come to life. Uh, they put up a pretty good amount of points last week against, you know, the Division II opponent they had. And another thing I want to mention is Florida proved that if you play two physical football games back-to-back, even if they are at home, it, it's tough to pull out a win. I, you know, we're still kind of trying to figure out what Utah is, but we both think Kentucky's a pretty quality team. So Florida was able to go one and one in that stretch, which, you know, good for them. But I know they would have rather had both both wins, but both were at home. So BYU takes one to, to Baylor, but that's at home. And now they have to go on the road after a big win. That's put them on the fringe of the top ten. I just think Dan Lanning's going to have Oregon ready to go. He's going to want to put on a show. And the first big game at Austin is his, you know, head coaching uh First go around keeps keeps rolling around, so I really I'm with you. I think Oregon pulls this one out. I just think they still are trying to rough out the edges and maybe float that three line. So I think it's definitely going to be an interesting one out west. Yeah, definitely. I I really do have faith in Oregon. I know Bo Nix isn't what people maybe expect expected him to be, but they have a top 10 linebacker, maybe top five linebacker in the draft. They have uh, Seven McGee, who is a playmaker all around the field. Justin Flo, of course. I know they have uh, a pretty good offensive line. They've recruited pretty good. So, I mean, Oregon has the ability. I just know that they have to come out and show it because they've been there before with the Justin Herbert years. They've been at the top of the top, especially with Marcus Mariota. They just kind of have to get back to that level. If Bo Nix is the guy to do it, I don't think so. But they, I think they do have that type of pull and draw from these certain kids to bring it back to that. And I just don't know if BYU has that. And I think they're just kind of riding the wave still of Zach Wilson. But I, I think Oregon's going to pull this one out. Staying in that 330 window on ABC, Ole Miss goes to Georgia Tech now. I don't want to kind of hang on this one for too, too long, but I think this one will be interesting to see where Ole Miss is really at. Week one, they kind of struggled against Troy. They only won 28-10. to 10. 
And I think that offense is still trying to figure out who its real leader is at quarterback. Uh, I know you got Zach Evans. I know you got Ulysses Bentley, and they're always good at wide receiver. Um, but Jackson Dart, you know, coming over from USC, he has been playing pretty well. He only has one pick. I'm not trying to say that he's not, you know, he's not performing well enough. But, you know, it was a competition between him and Luke Altmaier for a pretty long time throughout the camp before he was actually chosen. So that kind of opened my eyes a little bit. Um, but Georgia Tech showed that they could move the ball against Clemson's defense. So I think this will kind of let us know where Ole Miss sits. Are they going to be a real team to watch for this year? Or is it just kind of riding the high off uh, off what last year brought us? So right now the point spread sitting at about 16 and a half. I think that's – I think that's possible if we get the Ole Miss that we think this is. Um, I'm going to kind of stay on the safe side. I'll probably say this is closer to a 14-point win than a 17-point win uh, just because we don't really know yet. Uh, but I, I know Ole Miss can put up some points. So I'm going to say I'm gonna say 31-17 Ole Miss. Yeah, this Ole Miss team has – this Ole Miss offense has a chance to be pretty explosive with all the playmakers that they have and the playmakers that they added from the portal, Jackson Dar and – Zach Evans being the most – or the two most high-profile names from that list. I know their defense isn't the best, but let's just be honest, Georgia Tech is not that good of a program and hasn't been since the 90s or 80s whenever they went on their little run of winning a ton of games and being high-ranked. But I don't know if I really have a whole lot of faith in Jeff Sims. He hasn't proven anything. Their defense is bad. Yeah, their offense did move the ball against Clemson, but anywhere that Joe Yeah, I just I that might have been just a week one thing. I just don't have them enough enough faith in this Georgia Tech team to put it in the end zone enough to compete with Ole Miss. I think Ole Miss has the ability to score 30, 40 plus points if their offense gets clicking and I don't think Georgia Tech can come back and do anything with that with their offense because they have proven that they are just not explosive. And outside of Jeff Sims, you really don't have anything. And honestly, Jeff Sims is a liability at times. He turns the ball over way too much and kind of gives defenses a chance to capitalize on field position and just the turnover ratio in general. So I have to take Ole Miss in this one. I'd say maybe could get up even in the 40s, I'd say. 42, maybe 41, 14, 17. And another pretty good one at the 330 slot on CBS, Penn State comes down to Auburn. I'm really looking forward to watching this game because I think this is really going to answer a lot of questions for both sides. A lot of people are writing off Auburn. You and I talked in our little demo episode how I think Auburn's the worst team in the SEC West this year. Um Penn State, while they are ranked, and, you know, I think they played pretty well against, you know, their competition so far. I still I still got to see with Sean Clifford. I'm not a full believer in him just yet. That Purdue game did show me a lot with how he was able to drive down the field and, uh, and get those clutch throws in to win the game, but throughout that game, he still was making some questionable decisions like we had seen before. Um, and besides Tank Big, Bigsby for Auburn, I just don't really know what they're bringing to the table on offense. The defense is usually pretty good for Auburn no matter what. They always have a good DB, a good D lineman, a good linebacker in there somewhere. Auburn usually figures it out. But the biggest thing for me in this game is Jordan-Hare Stadium or Jordan Hare, Jordan Hare, however you want to say it. Auburn people are weird. That place affects more teams than I've ever seen out of anybody in my life. Penn State might be the only team that rivals being able to affect the game like Auburn Stadium can. We saw what they did to Alabama last year. Penn State's favored by three. I think there's a way where Auburn can come away and win this one. If Penn State wins, I think it's by no more than three. And if Auburn wins, it might just be a fluke and – if not, they could, you know, embarrass Penn State and show them that they're still a pretender for right now. So, for my money, if I was putting money on this game, I'd probably have to ride with Penn State 
just because there's more known factors for me, and they've already played a pretty quality opponent in Purdue, who I like a lot. But I don't think this one gets too high scoring. I'm going to say... I'm going to say 27-24 Penn State. Yeah, it's really hard to predict, but honestly, between these two teams, I know they've been playing back and forth for the past few years. But honestly, either side doesn't look too amazing. I know TJ Finley comes back for Auburn, Tank Bigsby, of course. They did lose a lot on defense. Penn State with Sean Clifford at the helm doesn't look amazing, of course. Defense is always going to have some dudes. And like you said, you take Penn State away from probably their biggest factor, and that's their stadium, and that's their atmosphere, and you bring them to Auburn. And, I mean, the SEC is a hard nose. Tighten up your britches like we're going to go win this football game. So, I don't have a whole lot of faith in TJ Finley, but he did push it against Alabama. I know that's the Iron Bowl, and it's one of the most historic games in college football history. But you bring them to Jordan Air, you bring them in the South, you bring them to the SEC. I think it's kind of hard to bet against them, especially with Sean Clifford, who, like you said, they probably should have lost to Purdue, but Sean Clifford made some crazy late-game heroics and kind of pulled that game out of nowhere. I'm going to have to disagree with you. I think I'm going to have to take Auburn on this one. I think you put them in that type of atmosphere, and you if you could get Tank, Tank Bigsby the ball and T.J. Finley can have that sort of game that he had against Alabama last year, which he did do with a bum foot. I know crazy games happen, but if they can – replicate that sort of game. I think they take this one 2017, 21-17, somewhere in that range. I don't think this game gets out of hand in any sort of the imagine, but I'm going to have to take Auburn in this one. All right, let's jump ahead to the 6 o'clock time slot on ESPN. Mississippi State goes to LSU. I think this one's going to be interesting as well, man. Mississippi State's going to throw it all over the yard, and they've played two pretty impressive games so far and against – some pretty interesting opponents. Arizona obviously has been at the bottom of the Pac-12 for a while, but I think they're getting better. Um, They're getting a lot of talent into the program, and they've hired a pretty good head coach. And then they also played Memphis, who is a very quality group of five team. We've seen them in a New Year's Six Bowl recently playing against Penn State in the Cotton Bowl. So Mississippi State has looked really good. The defense has actually been playing pretty well. Gave up a little bit more to Arizona than I would have expected, but still playing pretty well considering they have the air raid offense on the other side. Can kind of put them in some bad spots from time to time. But LSU comes back. Yes, it's against Southern, but they put up, I think, 60 points, 60 points plus. So this game is always crazy. I remember watching the 2014 game where Mississippi State was on their tear before being ranked number one in the first college football playoff rankings. And Dak was just going crazy in this game. And I also remember them going into LSU with Nick Fitzgerald and winning this game in 2017, where Mississippi State had all this hype before losing to Georgia. So this game is always wild. Um, I think it could end up being a pretty high-scoring game. Like I said, it's, it's a pretty intense little battle that they always have year in and year out. And I'm very looking forward to seeing how that this offense performs against this LSU defense. But I'm really interested to see how this LSU offense can rebound off of a pretty tough performance against Florida State. Mississippi State is favored by two and a half. I actually am going to go a little above that. I think Mississippi State could win this game by about 10 points if the defense plays well enough because I just still haven't seen enough out of LSU on offense to make me think they're going to be all-world everything this year. So I'm going to give the advantage to Mississippi State. I'm going to say 31-21 Bulldogs. Is the game in Death Valley? at LSU. Yeah, I'm going to have to disagree with you. I'm going to have to take LSU on this one. I might regret that. We'll see in in our next episode. But it's I'm not a biggest, the biggest fan of Mississippi State. I know the air raid, and that's kind of the way that the game is played now. So if you can do that and you can do it to a T, you're going to be sitting pretty, pretty good. But – Brian Kelly's there. We've said it before. We'll say it again. He's a proven winner. I know they haven't been what they've expected the first, when they 
came out the first week. But Jaden Daniels has been at Arizona State. He's proven that he can throw the football. You have to get Kayshawn Butte involved in the football game. You cannot just target him a few times and then go away from him. He's one of the best receivers in the nation. And if this offense starts clicking, I think they can put up a ton of points. LSU's defense always has some dudes on it. They always have a surprise first-round pick here, a second-round pick there. They've always got some dudes. They've always sat around the middle of the pack, top of the pack at the SEC West. I have to take LSU in this one. Like you said, I think it could be pretty high scoring, but I think if LSU gets their stuff put together, I think they could be very dynamic on offense. I think they have the the ability to put up a ton of points. I think this game could be a 38-31 type of game. I don't have to take LSU and Death Valley. Now, I do want to back up with what you're saying. If Jaden Daniels and Keishon Boutte can get on the same page and the offensive line plays better, this very well could flip the other way of what I just described. If they're on the same page and we get a good LSU defense that night, I think this could be 10 points the other way and we could see LSU winning 31-21. You know, I, I'm still – I'm in – just like I am with Anthony Richardson, I'm in wait-and-see mode with LSU. Brian Kelly is a proven winner. You are right, and LSU is a very tough place to play, especially at night. That place is going to be rocking earthquake-level loud. But I still just need LSU to prove it to me before I can put my chips in their pot. So I'm with you. And I'm not trying to say it can't happen, but I'm just not going to commit to it until I actually see it. So, but I am with you on that one. Yeah, I think this game could honestly swing either way, but I definitely am sitting a whole lot more high on LSU just because their program has been at a higher spectacle the past few years and the talent that they do have there. Not to dog on Mississippi State, but I mean, they haven't been anything special in quite a few years. They've been sitting towards the lower half, even at the, even at the bottom. So I just don't really have that much confidence in them. I know you have I know LSU needs to prove it, but at the end of the day it is LSU. They're a high level program. Anything can happen. And like you said, at night in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, anything can happen. So I have to take the LSU on this one. Moving on to seven thirty on ABC. This is a prime time game and I think this could be the best game of the day. This is Michigan State at Washington. Excuse me. I'm rooting for Mel Tucker in this one, but I think Washington could make this really interesting. With their new head coach, their offense is pretty wide open and high-powered. They've got transfer quarterback from Indiana, Michael Penix. You know, pretty impressive lefty quarterback. He's very athletic. He can throw it all around the, the field. He's got, like, some ridiculous numbers right now. I think he's only got one pick against seven touchdowns, and – He's thrown for already almost like 700 yards. So this offense is way different than what we've seen from Washington the past couple of years. Um, the Michigan State defense has actually been playing pretty well. They held an uh, impressive Western Michigan squad to only like 13 points. Um, I think that's really the story in this game. Last year, Michigan State's defense was kind of the reason that they fell out of that, that top national conversation, and that's especially why they got blown up by Ohio State. But I'm really pulling for Mel Tucker. I think his team can do it. My only worry is this is at Washington. You're going two time zones away, playing at night, and Washington can also be a pretty tough place to play. Um, I think they're a much better football team than they have been in years past, and Peyton Thorne has also kind of looked a little rough for Michigan State at times. He's thrown a lot of picks so far this year. And he is without uh, a couple of his top targets from last year. And obviously, you don't have Kenneth Walker the third anymore. So, I think Michigan State gets this win. But I think Washington shows out on a national stage and finally brings some, you know, some spotlight back to the program. Washington is favored in this game. Like I said, I am going to go with Michigan State. But I think this is going to be a hard-fought physical game. And I think it actually could put up more points than what we're expecting. So, I'm going to rock with Michigan State 35-33. I have to take Michigan State, too. I know Michael Penix has made national headlines for the past few years from being an absolute playmaker on offense and having the ability to take over games. But at the end of the day, I think Mel Tucker just out-coaches and gets his guys ready and just flat out 
prepares better for the game than Washington. I have a whole lot of faith in him. I know we're kind of be being Georgia slash SEC homers, but I think he's a great coach. His players love him. He's going to make sure his guys know what to do. And I just – I can't really – go against the Michigan State name, especially where they were last year for a Washington team that, like you said, with the addition of Michael Penix is a whole lot better, but they just haven't done anything special since when they were in the playoffs, what, 2014 or 2013, whenever I think they were in the first group of teams that were in the playoffs. But since then, they haven't really been anything amazing or special. So it's kind of hard for me to just base off name alone go against them against Michigan State so I'm gonna have to take Michigan in this one yes in a close game but I, I have faith in Michigan State and Mel Tucker moving on to the 9 p.m. time slot on ESPN this is the big boy matchup between Miami and Texas A&M I say big boy with air quotes I know I can't really physically show that through the podcast I know Miami looked a little rough around the edges last week. They only put up 30 points after putting up 60-plus. The offense looked a little out of sync, and you and I were both watching Tyler Van Dyke look super uncomfortable uh, in some highlights that were played throughout games we were watching last Saturday. But A&M just came off of a really bad loss to Appalachian State. Yes, this is at Texas A&M, but Texas A&M just has not looked good. They're favored in this game, which makes zero sense to me. I just, I've got to see, I'm, I'm in wait and see mode with uh, A&M as well. They've got to prove it to me that this is the real deal, and I just don't see it. They haven't done anything to show me that that's possible. I think they make bad coaching decisions. The offense looks out of sync. Haynes King, I don't think is the guy from what I've seen so far, and he's going to have to learn quick if, if Jimbo thinks he is, he's got to learn quick against this Miami defense because they're going to make him pay. I don't know, man. I just – I think there's too many things favoring Miami in this game, and I think they could walk out of College Station with an impressive win here. Like I said, Texas A&M is favored by five and a half right now. I wouldn't bet this game to save my life if we're, if we're being honest, but if I had to pick somebody, I'm going to rock with Miami. And I actually think this could get ugly. I'm going to say Miami could possibly win by about 14 points because I think they have the talent right now to push Texas A&M on, A&M on defense. And I just don't know what this A&M offense can do against the Miami defense. So I'm going to say it's pretty low scoring because Texas A&M still does have a pretty decent defense. Um, I'm going to say 28-13 Miami. I'm going to have, sadly, I'm going to have to go with Texas A&M with it being College Station. We are filming this on a Wednesday. I hope, I doubt it, that Haynes King is replaced as the starter. And if that does happen, if it's Max Johnson or if it's their freshman QB, I think it gives them an automatic better chance to, to win. They have playmakers all over the offense. I've their offensive line has not played well by any sense of the imagine, but they have playmakers everywhere. They have A-Chain. They have Nice Smith. They have Evan Stewart. It's literally the only thing that's not making them click is Haynes King. If they put Max Johnson in there, he, he did it at LSU. He's proven that he can get an offense down the field. I've, I'm not saying that he's some amazing talent, but I do think he is better than Haynes King at this moment. And with it being at College Station, I just have to go with Texas A&M. Tyler Van Dyke did prove that he can put up yards. He can win games. He showed out last year. But I just don't have that much faith in Miami. I think you come to the SEC and you have to play a different type of football. I think as much as it means, I guess, Jimbo Fisher may get his guys ready, but we haven't really seen that much this year. You kind of do have – have some sort of faith in him that he will get them prepared to play Miami but like you said I feel like this game could swing either way with Tyler Van Dyke he knows how to win football games he pushes the ball down the field he gets a whole lot of yards he gets a whole lot of touchdowns and is it really dumb with the football he doesn't really turn it over that much but I just have to take Texas A&M in, the, in this one not 
really confident about it, but I think it's just hard to bet against them with all these factors going this way. And like I said, we are filming this on a Wednesday. So hopefully by Saturday they do name a starter. But if Haynes King does walk in there as the starter, their percentage to win this game does fall for me a little bit. But I have to take a Texas a in this one. Yeah, I'm with you. If Mike Johnson steps in, I think he gives them a little bit more of a chance to win. That's just me. Uh, I never really understood why people, you know, dissed on Max Johnson as much as I have seen. You know, he he won games, and I mean, he beat Florida that one year back in 2020. So he's like you said, he's proven that he can get difficult wins. I think he's a you know a tough guy, and I think he plays with more confidence than what we've seen out of Haynes King, which you know, it was infectious to your teammates. You and I both know playing football our whole life that that's how the game works. You feed off your quarterback a lot of the times, especially in tough games. But my thing, too, is Mario Cristobal is going to have Miami ready to play a physical football game. They're going to come hit Texas a in the mouth. And if A&M's not ready for that, they're going to get beat. And that's why I think that this could end up being a pretty good win for Miami. Like I said, winning by about 14 points because – a&M just hasn't had to play super physical yet, and they struggled last week against App State. App State, I'm sure, played a pretty physical football game, but they still did, I don't know, just the talent gap between A&M and Appalachian State. I feel like A&M still just had more dogs on the field, and on top of that, I think a lot of it was time of possession. You and I both mentioned the fact that a- Appalachian State had the ball for 40 minutes as opposed to AM's 20 minutes. So that defense is gassed. So if Miami can play physical and they can control the ball and make AM's defense tired again, I think this could turn ugly. But if Max Johnson gets involved, I think it helps the AM offense a lot. I'm with you. There's playmakers everywhere. I love Evan Stewart. And I think Devin A. Chain is one of the most underrated dynamic playmakers in the entire country. He showed that with his kickoff return. He had one last year against Alabama. And he's an underrated running back. And he can catch out of the backfield. And Anai Smith can be used in the same way. So AM's offense can be impressive. It's just, do we have to watch it with Haynes King again? And I just, I, for me personally, I think AM being good is better for football as a whole because it finally brings in another program to be at the upper echelon of the sport one that's not really historically been all that and a bag of chips but right now i just i don't see it with a&m that's just me yeah i mean i hate to have faith in them but they do have talent all over the field and i really do think that it's just down to their quarterback their defense is still pretty good they have a ton of guys and a ton of dogs on there it's really just comes down to Haynes King, and I think everyone knows it. I'm not saying if they switch out Haynes King, they're going to be an um, automatic top 10 team, but this just uh, – it's just not what you expect from a former top quarterback prospect, and I think you just have to see what you have when you have two dudes like that on your uh, sitting in your quarterback room of Max Johnson and uh, – God, I don't even remember what his name is. Five-star Yeah. It's Connor Wegman. Connor Wegman. Yeah, you have a five-star, and I think Max Johnson was a four-star. And you just – seeing your quarterback play like that and having these two dudes in your quarterback room and you not even thinking about trying them out, I think that says more about you as a coach than it does anything else. You need to make a change. This team has the potential to win a whole lot of football games, but – with the way that their quarterback is playing right now, I just don't see it. So I do hope, like I said, that they make the quarterback change, and I think that will give them the boost to beat Miami. But if Haynes King's out there, honestly, I think it's 50-50, and it could go either way. Just real quick to, to build off that, I want to ask you, if AM drops this and plays Haynes King the whole game, and Jimbo doesn't say he's making a switch. Does that make Jimbo a hot seat candidate immediately? I know you and I said we both want to give him a little bit, but I just feel like that's blind commitment to a dude that's obviously costing your program. And I think AM fans are going to get anxious and a little bit impatient with how he's handling this whole thing. 
I think you have to, especially how their season has started, only scoring 31 against Sam Houston State, and it wasn't an impressive 31. Their offense, of course, proved that they can move the ball on Texas A&M's defense. And then, of course, coming out and losing to App State, I think it has to put him on the hot seat. Like you said, we do want to give him time because, I mean, he has been on that pedestal before. He has won a national championship, but, I mean, it's been 10 years or something like that. So you have to you have to be able to change in this sport and you have to be able to change for the better. And right now they desperately need it. I get wanting to give a kid a chance, but at this point, if you're a program like Texas A&M losing to a team like App State, no disrespect to App State. We know that they're – a lead on offense and they can put up points. But seeing his uh, performance in the Sam Houston game, I think that just gives you all you need to know that he does not belong as the starter, as the starting quarterback at Texas A&M. And you have two dudes sitting behind him that are capable and we've, and we've seen Max Johnson be capable. We don't really know much about the freshman, but if he has, like you said, blind loyalty to this kid that is obviously hurting his program, I think he has to be in the seat. And I, don't see how Texas A&M fans don't see that either if it continues like that. Yeah, starting off one and two is definitely not what this A&M program needs. And, I mean, with what talent they have and the aspirations they have and the future that they can have with that recruiting class you and I keep mentioning across these episodes, starting off one and two is just an embarrassment and, yeah, it makes Jimbo have to change things. And if he refuses to – I think that makes him a hot seat candidate too. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens in this game. I think all eyes are going to be on this game. National headlines will come out of it if they do lose. So I think if you have any sort of vested interest in college football, your eyes need to be on this football game. All right, then just kind of to wrap up, we're going to hit a few games little by little, just give some quick thoughts, things that you might want to pay attention to. We got Florida State and Louisville Thursday night, ESPN 7:30. I really want to see if Florida State can replicate what they did against LSU a couple weeks ago. You know, Florida State has talent. There's no question about that. Uh, just really want to see how they perform against a better team uh, than what they played previously. You know, they got the one over LSU, which was hard fought. So if they can win this game impressively, I think that shows some really good impressive things for Florida State going forward. Spreads at two and a half, I actually think Florida State wins by more than that, even if Louisville has Malik Cunningham. Uh, I'm going to say Florida State wins by 7, 28, 21. I'll take Louisville on this one. Malik Cunningham <laughs> didn't play well in their <clears throat> previous win. Thirteen two interceptions and then ran one in on the ground and they still got the win. I think if he plays even somewhat of a decent game, I think this defense isn't that great. I know their offense is, has the potential to be pretty good, but I have to take Louisville on this one because if Malik Cunningham plays anywhere to a good, anywhere close to a good game, I think they score 28 points to 21, maybe 17, something like that. So I take Louisville on this one. 12 o'clock, ESPN2, Purdue at Syracuse. Now, Syracuse has typically been a bad team, but I think they're starting to improve. They've gotten a little bit better uh, throughout both sides of the ball and have an underrated running back in college football, Sean Tucker, who would really impress people last year. Um, I think this is Purdue's chance to really get another quality win. I still think Purdue is an excellent football team. Syracuse is actually favored in this game by one. Uh, and I actually think this could be the most competitive game out of the 12 o'clock game. So if Georgia, South Carolina starts getting to be a blowout and Oklahoma, Nebraska gets ugly, if you're looking to watch a competitive football game, I think you could flip it over to this one. I think Purdue pulls away late and wins by about 10. So I'm going to say 34-24 Purdue in this one. You just have to take Purdue in this one. Me and you are huge fans of Purdue and how they can easily pull up pull off upsets in big games. Yeah, this isn't a huge game, but if they can play up to that competitive standard in those type of big game situations, I think they easily pull this one out. I think it could be a two-score game for Purdue. Huge fans of them. I think they pull this one out in the win. Next, we're going to do California at Notre Dame. Notre Dame is 0-2. Marshall, I think, is a better team than Cal. 
but we just don't know what Notre Dame's going to bring to the table. Uh, I think if you're really just looking to see an interesting storyline, I think you watch this game just to see how Notre Dame does, to see how much they could fall from grace after losing Brian Kelly. I just, I'm really shocked by the first two games in Notre Dame. I doubt they lose this one, but if they start rowing three, as much as you and I both like Marcus Freeman, that could be a tough start to the season. Notre Dame's favorite by 11. I think that they finally get a win, and I think Marcus Freeman's able to finally get a breathe, a breather, get that sigh of relief, finally get a win under his belt in South Bend. So I'm going to say Notre Dame wins by like 14. I think this is probably about 34 20. Yeah, well, of course, me and you have definitely not the, like the start of Notre Dame, especially how much we like Marcus Freeman. And I know it's definitely not what he wanted. Like you said, Cal is not that good of a team. They haven't really been for a long time since Jared Goff was drafted number one from there. It is going to be interesting to see what Notre Dame does put on the field, losing their starting quarterback for the rest of the year. But like you said, Notre Dame is a high-profile school. They have talent all over the field. They should run away with this one. It's Cal Poly or whatever. Cal is California. California. So they should run away with this one. I hate to see it like that. I hate to see it from a Marcus Freeman fan. But if he continues this, I don't see how much longer. I know you have a whole lot of hype, and he's only a first-year guy. But you start the season 0-3 with a, with a loss to Marshall and Cal. Maybe you start to wonder if Marcus Freeman can really handle handle a head coaching position, but I have to take Notre Dame in this one. Moving on to 7 p.m. ESPN2. I'm definitely going to be watching this game. I don't know about everybody else, but Texas Tech goes to NC State. I think this is our real test on what kind of NC State team we can have. Texas Tech's offense was fireworks the first two weeks of the season. They got a really impressive win over Houston last week. Um, I think with a new coach, the new staff, and some offensive talent that Texas Tech has got, I think this could be a, a sleeper team in the Big 12. Everybody's still got a hot train on NC State. Yes, they dropped a little bit, but they're still in that top 15, top 16 range. I just, I was really disappointed by what I saw week one. I was a fan of Devin Leary, and he did not play up to what his expectations are. But I think North Carolina State can get back on the right track with a huge win here. This is still an impressive Texas Tech football team. So, you know, maybe you have the rough win over ECU week one, but to get a win against Texas Tech and look good doing so, I think it can change the narrative for how NC State's looked at going forward. They're favored by about 10. I'm going to have confidence in Devin Leary. I still think he's a good quarterback. I think North Carolina State wins by 14, 17 points. Uh, I'm going to go 31-13. NC State gets the win. Yeah, I think this game's going to be kind of an offensive shootout. And NC State winning because I, built, I believe that their talent is better than Texas Tech's and their defense can outlast Texas Tech's defense facing NC State's offense because, like you said, I mean, they played decent last year. I know I have maybe a whole lot of pent-up aggression towards them. I don't think they're a bad football team whatsoever, but I do not understand why they're ranked so high and projected to be in the college football playoffs at the beginning of this year. I don't hate this team. I think they still can be good. I just didn't understand the hops. I think they pulled this one out against Texas Tech, but I think it's going to be offensive shootout. 7.30 SEC Network, Florida is at home again against South Florida. I believe they lost this game last year, if I'm not mistaken. Or they were pretty close to doing so. I'm just I'm shocked by what I saw out of Anthony Richardson. I don't think they lose this game by any means, but I think this will show us what kind of bounce-back performance Anthony Richardson can have. If he doesn't come back and light up the world and put up stats like we know he can, then I think that leads you to kind of question this Florida offense moving forward. Like I said, I don't think that they lose their favorite by 24, but if they only win by about 14 to 17 points, I think that says a lot about this Florida team going forward, and I think that gives the edge to Kentucky and Tennessee moving forward to challenge Georgia uh, going forward the rest of the season. So with that being said, I still think Florida is a good football team. I think Anthony Richardson is a dynamic playmaker. And I think he's just too much for South Florida to handle. And I think 
gets it up. I think Florida in this one, too. I'm a big fan of Anthony Richardson. I'm a big fan of the playmakers that have on offense. Most notably, Trevor Etienne. He averaged some crazy amount of yards this first week. He really showed out. I know they still have a few playmakers on the outside, and Xavier Henderson and things like that. They're, they have a few secondary players that are pretty good. Many both don't want Brandon Cox. I mean, he's still a... I think he's a super senior this year, or a senior or something like that. So, I mean, he does bring leadership. I don't think he's that great of a player, but it is nice having that experience out there. I mean, it's USF. USF? USF. USF. They should win this game pretty handily. I still have faith in Florida. But like you said, if they make this game close, you have the question, what is Billy Napier doing with this Florida team? This one, I think you and I both uh, will pay a little bit of attention to. This is SMU at Maryland. Both are 2 0. SMU is a very good group of five team. They have a really good quarterback in Tanner Mordecai, who's the previous Oklahoma QB. This offense is always high powered. And like I said, really good group of five team year in and year out. They've got guys like Ulysses Bentley coming out of that program, who's now at Ole Miss. And I just want to see how the Maryland offense plays against a better quality opponent than what they've had so far this year. Uh, you and I both love Talia Tagovailoa when he's on. That's a key word, or key phrase, rather, is when he's on. If he's on, he's the top quarterback in this in the sport. Um, but can they continue to develop the weapons out wide? You know, how much is Jacob Copeland going to be involved in this offense? I want to see uh, King Jarrett and see how many other offensive weapons they can produce. If they can continue to produce more, I think they're going to be a challenge in the Big, uh, Big Ten. Maryland's only favored by two and a half. Like I said, this is showing respect for SMU as a program. Uh, I think they win by seven, maybe ten. Because, like I said, I don't want to overshadow the fact that SMU is a good football team. I'm going to say 37-27 Maryland in this one. So SMU has been pretty good the past few years. They seem like they've always had a stable steam of running, I'm not running back, quarterbacks coming in there with uh, Tanner Mordecai and uh, Shane Michelle. Michelle. It's like they always have this one guy coming from a program and he just absolutely balls out and takes care of that program and the offense is crazy. But like you said, we both have faith in this Maryland team and Talia Tagovailoa, I have to take them because if he is on, this offense can be one of the most electric in the country. Maybe SMU is more consistent, but if Maryland has a good day, this could be a pretty high scoring game. But I'm going to take Maryland in this one. All right, two more real quick. 10 p.m. ESPN2, San Diego State is at Utah. Utah lost to this team last year. I think Utah has a chip on their shoulder. They still have stuff to prove. They're a top program in this country, and I think they want to you know, set the tone. This is going to be a physical football game. Utah's win uh, uh, point spread is about 21, what they're favored. I think they get this win, and I hope they do it impressively because I still think Utah's a good football team, uh, and they're obviously going to have a salty taste in their mouth from last year. San Diego State is another one of those group of five teams. That's pretty good. I think we're seeing some more consistent group of five uh, teams these days. Um, so, you know, maybe you flip to it and see that it's 7-7 in the first quarter, but I think Utah will pull this one out, and I think they could win by even more than 21 points. Give me Utah 44-17. I'll definitely have to take Utah on this one. It's San Diego State. They just they shouldn't really compare. Utah's a good team this year. Like I said, I think they didn't deserve that hype of being a top-five team and predicted to go to the playoffs, but I think they do still have a solid team, and I think they do have a chip on their shoulders from how poorly that their season did start. So I think they're coming in this game fired up and ready to prove people wrong. Maybe that or game one was maybe sort of a fluke. I don't think I don't think it was, but in their minds, they probably do. But I think they're going to come in this game and show how people put them there, or put them in the high ranking at the beginning of the season and hopefully blow out San Diego State. Last, we got 10.30, Fox, Fresno State coming to see UC, uh, USC in the Coliseum. I'm going to be paying attention to this game specifically because I want to see if USC can handle 
handle the expectations, handle the weight on their shoulders. They're finally a top 10 program. The offense has been performing at a high level. And I don't know how many times I've said it this episode, but Fresno State is a quality group of five teams that have produced talent over the years and are the alumni school for arguably the top wide receiver in the NFL right now in Devontae Adams. So you know they can produce the talent, and they've gotten some pretty big wins over the years. I I think the USC offense is too much for a team like Fresno State, but if you start to see some some miscues or not taking the team seriously because USC thinks they just have it in the bag, then I think that could open some eyes. I think the talent obviously wins out uh, for USC, but just to prove my point, like I said before, USC is only favored by 12. That's showing respect to Fresno State as a program. Um, I think USC wins by more than that because I don't know how much better Fresno State is than Stanford. But Stanford proved that you can move the ball. So if Fresno State can do so and put up some points, then I think they can make this game interesting for a little while. I think Fresno State puts up more than uh, Stanford did last week, but I also think USC can put up more than they did on Stanford. So I'm going to say USC gets the win 52-20. to 52-28, excuse me. I think this is going to be a really good football game. Like you said, USC is strong on offense. They're back to that national spot like where they're used to being in the, the 2000s and 1990s and stuff like that where we haven't really seen them, but they've really turned it around and turned it on this season. I do think this game is a pretty high-scoring game because this Fresno State offense with Jake Hayner has proven that they can put up points, like you said. They are a better team than Stanford, but at the same time, how much faith do you have in this defense stopping USC's offense? And I have a whole lot more faith in USC's offense stopping Jake Hayner and this Fresno State team. I do think USC pulls this one out, but it's definitely going to be hard fought because we've seen it last year. Jake Hayner can put up points, and this team is a mess without him. So I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I think USC will probably pull an extra three touchdown, two touchdown lead later in the game, but I think it could be relatively close leading up to that final quarter, but I'm not think uh, USC in this one. Week three, like I said, not as star-studded as what we got in week two and week one. Still going to be an interesting week in football, like I said. If, any, if we've learned anything from these first two weeks is that anything literally can happen. Um, I'm really interested to see how this how this football season continues, and I think this weekend is going to be a nice little appetizer for what the next week is going to bring us. We've got some pretty impressive matchups coming. So again, we really appreciate everybody listening to the show. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. That's where you can find the show. Please review the show; it helps us out a whole lot. And please check out our Twitter page at Read the Roster on Twitter. Also check out our Facebook page. Just search Read the Roster on Facebook. We want to interact with everybody. We want to interact with you during the games. We want to get your thoughts on these teams, these matchups, everything in between, all the storylines. Uh, Reed and I love talking football, so we want to reach out to anybody that listens and also interact with you about what's going on there. So, again, we really appreciate everybody listening and uh, looking forward to another exciting weekend of college football. Yeah, I'm re- I would say I'm kind of excited to see how much interaction we do get because I think like we've honestly said in our demo episodes, when it comes to sports and college football especially, every single different person has uh, opinion from the same to wide left field. You can get every single thing you want from college football. People have so many different opinions, so many different sides, so many different favorite teams. It's crazy to see in the sport. So I want you all to send us your questions, send us your thoughts, send us your opinions on what we got wrong, what our, what our hot takes could be off, just anything. Because college football really is a place for great diversity and difference of opinion so and maybe you can make us see it from your way it may not change our opinion fully but at least we'll get that perspective so it's definitely one thing that i'm looking forward to because it'll really open my eyes to see how many people have how many different opinions like we said uh really looking forward to seeing our interaction and i really just want to stress how much we appreciate everybody that listens so 
thank you guys for riding this train with us. It's been an excellent football season so far. Let's see what the rest of the season brings us. We'll talk to you all soon.